Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. See some of the new faces here in this place. Um, we obviously had a lot going on as we get started with service today, uh, so I have a responsibility to get you guys out of here uh, by 11 o'clock, and I'm going to try to try to do that. But man, I'm just excited to see to see God moving. Um, you know, Ray got up here and talked about tithing and offering, and and number one, we do what we have to do because we're obedient to the Lord. But number two, I think it's important to always remember. Uh, that we have a personal God, we should have personal reasons for giving in addition to just obedience. So as I sat there uh, today and listened to uh, Jazzy and, and Nate graduate into youth, I thought about just years of faithfulness, you know, and uh, uh, faith, faithful, faithfully giving as a, as a family and as a couple, my wife and I, uh, you know, we're tithers. We give into the kingdom of God since we got saved and since we started leading this church, obviously we've, we've continued that, but I, I got to be honest with you, uh, there's no amount of money in the world uh, that can mean more than, than watching your kids serve the Lord, watching your kids uh, be led, and knowing that you have a church that, uh, that God's using to do that, right? Like, I'm not alone in raising my kids. Amen. You know, Nate has sat through more Bible studies with Miss Vanessa and the children's church teachers than he has with me. Um, he uh, has had an opportunity to come into a group of youth that I trust, you know, um, uh, to be able to say on Friday nights he'll be with you guys. You know, I'm depending on you guys to show him how to become a young man, depending on you guys to show him uh, how to repent when he does things that are wrong and to be an example for him. So uh, it's just special. It's special to be a part of a church uh, in the way that God gives us an opportunity to do that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a happy dad today. Uh, uh, I think it's a good opportunity also to remind you that, that I think our father looks down on each and every one of us here this morning. He says the same thing. I'm a happy dad today. Amen. You know, he's happy with us and he's hopeful for us. Amen. 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 All right. So that I can stay on time. Um, I feel like Jesus is already moving here in, in 2020. You know, we come into a new year and just like everybody else in the world, we want things to be better this year. We want things to be different this year. We want to make it to March and still be in the gym this year. Like there's all these things that we want to be better and different. And sometimes we have to wait on those things. But last week to see people giving their lives to Jesus, to see people committing and asking to be baptized, to know that uh, the people that asked to be baptized last week, they don't want to wait till March 1st. They've asked if they can be baptized this month. So later on this month, we'll be having baptisms and services. Amen. Um, 
you know, those, those folks that are doing baptism are getting into our courses that we offer at the church, and they're already reading and calling us and asking us questions about some of the content. Uh, you know, you heard Gary, the youth leader, talking to the newest that are coming to the group saying, read your word, get into the word, understand these things. Um, so to think that some of our older folks, some of our, our adults are doing the exact same thing that we're asking our children to do, our youth to do, which is get into the word, study, understand. Don't just get baptized because you think it's the thing to do. How about we read the scriptures about that and understand what it is that God wants to do through that? So it's exciting <clears throat> to be able to see <clears throat> some of those things happening. We started this new series for 2020 called The Archetype last week. And uh, for those of you that weren't here, didn't get a chance to listen to it, uh, the definition, Webster's definition of an archetype is the original pattern or model of which all things of the same type are representations or copies of. So it's the OG, it's the original, it's the first one, and everything else that's like it is just a copy or a representation. The second definition says that an archetype is most commonly used to mean a perfect example of something. Right? You lose a little bit of something every time that you copy it, every time you photocopy it, every time you try to reproduce it. It's not quite like the original, and the original always has, for whatever reason, more value. Uh, so what we talked about last week is where do we get these archetypes from, the types of people that we know. When you think about your friends, you think about your family, you think about yourself and your characteristics, uh, how you think, how you behave, how you act, that, that comes from somewhere. There was an original that thought that way or felt that way. <clears throat> and we used Carl Jung from the 1800s. He gave us 12 archetypes of people. He says there's the sage or the wise man, the innocent, the explorer, the ruler, the creator, the caregiver, the magician, the hero, the rebel, the lover, the joker, and the orphan. He says that we all fall into one of those kind of categories predominantly, and these are the 12 archetypes of the types of people there are out there. So we made this claim in the church last week that Jesus is not just an archetype of a certain personality. He is the archetype of humanity itself. Right? So he's not just uh, the ruler, the creator, the hero, and he's the first of that type. He's the first type of man, the first type of woman, the first type of humanity, and that he encompasses all these others. You can find these characteristics in their perfect form, in their first form, in their original form, in their holy form, in Jesus. So last week we looked at the caregiver. Our first group, or our first uh, archetype was the caregiver. This is what Jung said about caregivers. They feel more strongly than other people do, and they want to protect people from harm. They try to prevent any danger or risk from threatening other people's happiness. We saw that Jesus is the servant king. Somebody say amen. amen. <clears throat> he serves and he cares for people. Uh, he doesn't want harm to come to us. That we see the perfect caregiver, the perfect archetype in Jesus. One of the stories we looked at is how he washed the disciples' feet. How he didn't serve just because he had to and he didn't have any other options. He's a servant king. He can do whatever he wants to do and he deserves to do whatever he wants to do, but he chooses to serve. Right? Another thing we looked at last week is how uh, he allowed himself to be served. Sometimes we don't think about that or we forget who Jesus really was. People would come to him and he would let them feed him as well. He would let them anoint him with the most costly oil that this woman had, and he didn't stop her. He said, if you want to bless me, if you want to serve me, if you want to anoint me, go ahead. A woman would come to him and wash his feet with her tears and then dry them off with her hair, and he didn't stop them. He allowed himself to be served. So one of the things we learned last week is that we have to serve God 
But we have to also learn how to allow God to serve us. He's a servant king. Many of us spend most of our time trying to figure out, why is the church telling me to serve better and to serve more faithfully and to give more faithfully and to read my word and just give God the glory that he desires? And we struggle to be successful. What we learned about last week is that maybe that's because we also need him to serve us, to change us and to transform us and to give us a, a power to actually serve him well. So Jesus, we saw as the caregiver. He's the archetype. He's the perfect version of that. This week... We're going to look at Jesus, the rebel. Jesus, the rebel. This is what Jung says about the rebel. The rebel is a transgressor. The rebel provokes people and doesn't care at all about other people's opinions. As a result, they like going against the grain and thinking for themselves. They don't like to be pressured or influenced. That's what Jung says about rebels. I'll say this this morning. Jesus is much more of a rebel than Jung had in mind. Jesus is the archetype of the rebel. So why don't we pray and ask God that he would help us to see that. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for the few minutes that we've been able to set aside to gather together, to celebrate you together, to sing unto you, Lord. We thank you that as we worship you, you fill our hearts with something we've never felt before, Lord, a joy and a peace that you offer. You are the Prince of Peace, Lord God. We ask you this morning that as we get into your word, that it would come alive, Lord, that it wouldn't be dead words on a page, Lord. You are alive and well. You are sitting at the right hand of the Father. You see each and every one of our circumstances and situations here in this place this morning, and there's something you want to do, Lord. You don't desire that we would come in and then leave the same way, Lord God. Change us, transform us, shape us, mold us, inspire us, convict us, comfort us. Whatever it is that you desire to do, we're open to that this morning. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So today and probably throughout every generation, people have been rebellious. It's just our nature. Something inside of us is programmed to rebel. You don't have to turn it on. You don't have to have somebody teach you how to rebel. It's already in us. You know, we're up here and we're looking at these young people. They're 12 years old and praise God. They're still in church and they're going to serve God. But I remember when Nate was like, probably six months old. He couldn't even talk, couldn't walk, and he was already rebelling. You'll give him something, and he'll throw it, throw the bottle. I watched my other son. He's six years old, and he's spoiled. He's the, the spoiled brat of the family, and we all know it, but I don't care. <laughs> but rebellion is in his nature. He pouts, he whines, he, he runs in the house and sits on the couch, and like he wants you to know that he's in rebellion. Rebellion is not a secret when it comes to humanity. It's in us. Somebody say amen. Amen. From the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, they rebelled in the garden. And since then, men and women have consistently been rebelling. How many of us think that things would be different and better for us if Adam and Eve would have fought against that spirit of rebellion? Think things would be different for us if they would have fought against that and not fell victim to it? How about this? What if I told you the problem wasn't the spirit of rebellion? The problem was who and what Adam and Eve chose to rebel against. What if the spirit of rebellion is actually from God and it's supposed to be used to rebel against the devil and his lies and his deceitfulness? See, we think 
This spirit of rebellion came up in Adam. It came up in Eve. They wanted to do what they wanted to do, and they should have fought against that spirit of rebellion. They just should have just been submissive. But I don't really think that's the reality. I think the reality is that God has given us a spirit of rebellion, and we need to direct it in the right place. God gave him that spirit so that when the enemy came and said, don't listen to the word of God, don't believe what he told you, don't live the way that he told you to live, they should have rose up and rebelled against that. But instead, they chose to use that spirit of rebellion against God, their maker and their creator. Jung says, rebels provoke people and they don't care at all about other people's opinions. Listen to what people were saying about Jesus when he was preaching and teaching. This is Mark chapter 12, verse 14. It says, when they had come, they said to Jesus, Teacher, we know that you are true and you care about no one. You do not regard the person of men, but you do teach the way of God and truth. Really? You care about no one and you don't regard the person of men. The, when Jesus is preaching and teaching, they're saying about him the same thing that Jung says about rebels. They don't care about people. They don't care about their opinions. They don't care about their, feel, their feelings. They don't, re, they don't regard others as important. But last week we saw that isn't Jesus the caregiver? So how is that possible that as he's teaching, as he's preaching, as he's speaking and living, certain people look at him and say, you're, you're rebellious in the sense that you don't care about people. They're not quite seeing him. The scriptures say that he came to lay down his life for men and for women. So how is it that he can say that you don't regard people? They don't understand what rebellion is, and they don't understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the archetype of humanity, which means he's more than one thing. And when we try to look at him in one light, we don't get to see the whole picture. We don't get that 2020 vision. They look at him and they say, the things you're saying and, and the way that you're treating certain people in certain situations, we know that you don't care about people. Well, they're not seeing the whole light. They're not seeing all that Jesus is. They didn't get to listen to the caregiver message. <laughs> Jesus is not a rebel without a cause. We have that picture, Ray? <laughs> James Dean is a rebel without a cause. He's just rebelling for the sake of rebelling. He's young, he lives fast, drives fast cars, has fast women, and he doesn't need a cause. All he wants to do is rebel. And when we look at our own lives, many of us don't need a cause. We just like to rebel. Amen. But Jesus isn't like that. He's the archetype of something different. Amen. He is in rebellion, but he is a rebel with a cause. He has purpose for his rebellion, and he has parameters that guide his rebellion. Ooh. Let me say that again. Jesus has purpose for his rebellion, there is a cause, and there are parameters that he stays in. He doesn't just go wild with his rebellion. He says, I'm going to rebel, but here are my guidelines for how I rebel. Do you have parameters for your rebellion? Number one, Jesus rebels on the Sabbath. Jesus rebels on the Sabbath. This is Mark chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Jesus entered the synagogue. Say church. Church. The synagogue is the church. So Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely. The church folks are watching Jesus. Whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, 
Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand. His hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against Jesus how they might destroy him. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and Jerusalem and Udimea, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, and great, a great multitude. When they heard how many things he was doing, they came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat, or he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of this multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, saying, You're the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. He went up on the mountain. <clears throat> he called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Great story. What do we learn? We learn that Jesus heals on the Sabbath. The church says the Sabbath is holy. It's set aside. We don't do any work. We don't do anything. And Jesus says he's angry with how the church sees things. Jesus rebels against the religious system that misses the point in order to keep tradition. How many churches, how many movements do we know that completely miss the point because of their traditions? And Jesus, when we read in the scriptures about him, immediately he rebels against that. He comes into the church and he says, this man needs to be healed. And your tradition says we don't heal on Saturday at that time. <laughs> and he rebels against that. A religious system that tries to force God to bless rather than requesting that God be graceful and merciful and bless according to his character. Let me say that again. What is Jesus rebelling against? What the church is saying is, God said, set the Sabbath aside, keep it holy. So by tradition, we don't do anything on Saturday. And what we're trying to say is, God, we did what you told us to do. You said don't do anything on the Sabbath. We didn't do anything on the Sabbath. So you better bless us because we're obedient. And when Jesus shows up, he is God. He's, he's the reflection of God. He's the express image of God, right? And he says, no, you guys are missing it. You don't get to tell God what to do because of what you've done. You get to ask God to do certain things because of who he is. Amen. And instead of falling in line with the church that is living that way, do this, do that, do this, do that. Don't do that. Don't do this. And if you follow all those rules, God has a requirement to bless you. Jesus says, no, I don't roll like that. Right. I'm not going to fall in line with you guys and be a robot and think that God is going to just do things because we force him by our actions. Our traditions are not what cause God to move in our lives. God's character of grace and mercy. And when we ask him to be gracious and merciful, that's when God moves in our life. Amen. So Jesus says... Here's my options. I can roll with you guys because you're the church and you have the building and you're still here. And after all these years, you've still been waiting on the Messiah. He says, no, nah, but I'm going to rebel against that. 
I'm not going to fall in line with that. I'm going to ask God to be merciful. I'm going to ask God to be gracious. I'm going to expect him to heal somebody no matter what day of the week it is, yes. no matter what we have planned. And then you know what he says? Let me just get 12 people who will roll with me and rebel against everything that you've been taught, everything you've learned, every time that you've been coming back to Jerusalem year after year after year after year, I need you to rebel with me, he said. He's so good. He's the archetype. He's the OG. He doesn't need to follow somebody else's lead. He is the lead. God is not for the Sabbath in spite of the needs of people. Let me say that again. God is not for the Sabbath in spite of the needs of people. He doesn't say, I, I made this seventh day. I made this day holy. So I don't care about people's needs on the seventh day. He says, I gave the Sabbath to remind you how important people are. Amen. <laughs> they missed the point, right? The church is saying, uh, we don't do anything on the Sabbath because we want to honor God. And we're not even going to help people. And Jesus is saying, God gave us that day to rest because he's saying, you guys are so important. I don't want you to kill yourselves working and working and working and working and working and working. You need a day to rest. You need a day just to eat together and hang out together and watch football or basketball or whatever it is. Mark chapter 2, verse 22 says, No one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. This is Jesus talking. So what he's saying is, look, I'm coming to give you a new message, the real message, the truth. And if you try to take what I'm telling you and behave according to tradition, it's not going to work. You've got to be a new type of person, spirit-filled like my disciples are going to be in order to receive this. It says, now it happened when he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the, for the priest. And also he gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the son of man is also Lord of the Sabbath. I don't know about you, but I just love when Jesus talks. I feel like if... if if we were writing it today, right at that, mo that moment, in our, our scripture, it would be a slap. <laughs> like Jesus says, don't you read? Amen. David, King David, on the Sabbath, he went into the church. There's holy bread on the altar that only the priest can go. David goes in with his homies, grabs the bread, starts eating it and giving it to them. And God says, David's a man after my own heart. Why? Because the bread is for the people. The Sabbath is for the people. And then slap. <laughs> Jesus always rebels against people's misunderstanding. He says, you don't know what it really means to be a follower of God, and I'm going to rebel against that. You don't know what it really means to be a Christian, and I'm going to rebel against that. I'm going to show you what it means. He's not going to fall in line with their thinking. Jesus also rebels for the glory of God, not for his glory. 
Listen to what his rebellion is actually saying. He's saying, your behavior is painting a false picture of who my father is. That's what he's saying to the church. He's saying, listen, the way you guys behave, right, when people come into the church and they look at you, you're the priest, you're the preachers, you're the teachers, you're the synagogue. They come here to find God. But the way you guys behave, the picture you're painting is not who my father is. And what you're asking people to do is not what he wants them to do. And Jesus says, no, I can't, I can't be a part of that. <laughs> and I can't let it continue to happen. These demons recognize who Jesus is, and they say, it's the Son of God. That's who he is. And Jesus says, be quiet. This ain't about me. It's about my Father. Amen. Then he calls his 12 disciples, and he says, listen, rebel with me. I'll empower you to preach, and I'll empower you to heal people and touch their lives and to change their lives. But you got to rebel with me. Amen. You can't be part of the old. you got to be part of the new. So that's number one. He rebels on the Sabbath. Number two, another area where Jesus has purpose for his rebellion and parameters is with his parents. I think it's a fitting day with some of the things that we've seen with our children's church and with our youth this morning. Jesus rebels against poor and ignorant parenting. Don't get mad at me. This is Luke chapter 2, verse 40. The child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up, <clears throat> they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him amongst their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statements which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Tough topic. Jesus rebels against ignorant parenting. Poor parenting. To a church full of people who you came to church you brought your kids they're upstairs learning they're sitting here as young youth listening Jesus says to his parents if you won't take me to church I'll go on my own <laughs> he's 12 and he says to his parents if all you want to do is your duty to come back to Jerusalem on Passover every year and fellowship with everybody and just come to Sunday service, if you don't want to wrestle with the word of God and the truth of God and get the answers and go deep, I'll do that on my own if you choose not to. Jesus is saying a lot. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus says if that's the direction you want to go, 
back to Nazareth, when we should be going deeper into Jerusalem, I'm staying here. You guys go ahead. Jesus says, look, I love you, but we're all called to love God more than anyone and anything else. He's 12. You know, what I, what I tell Nate, <clears throat> I tell you guys, he's not here. He's helping up in the classrooms. Uh, just like I told you guys, I want you guys to lead him. I want you guys to be examples to him. But you know, I tell him when I'm at home, don't wait on these other kids. You're 12, man, lead. Jesus is in the temple. If you're reading, tell them what the scriptures say. If you're praying, tell them what God is saying to you. If we're tired and don't want to take you on a Friday night, you better call somebody else and get a ride. (laughs) He's 12. Listen to what Jesus says when he's 30. This is Mark chapter 3, verse 31. Jesus' mother, or excuse me, Jesus' brothers and his mothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. When he's 12, he tells mom and dad, look, I'm about my father's business. When he's 30, he says, my father has children. If my mother and my brothers are outside doing something else, this is my mother. This is my brother. Those who are seeking God, he has not changed. He rebels against what the world says. The world says, oh, no, that's your mother, your brother. You better get your butt up, go outside, go do the family thing. He says, no, I have a new family. I rebel against what the world is telling me and how they say that I should behave and what it means to be a good boy. I rebel against that for the will of God. He said it when he was 12. He said it when he was 30. And guess what? Today, he's telling children that if your parents aren't leading you in the ways of God, you need to rebel and follow God with all you have. He has not changed. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If they won't lead you, you you cannot use that as an excuse for not following God. Period, point blank. He doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. He's telling parents, if you care about your own kids more than you care about the will of God, you are rebelling in the wrong way. Don't say yes or no, but is that hard to hear? Because the world would tell you, don't put anything before your kids. Don't put anything before your family. It's honoring to God to make everything in life about your family. No, it's not. Rebel against that. That's a lie. Jesus says, this is my mother and this is my brother. Jesus says, I love you, mom. I love you, dad. But I got to be about my father's business. Jesus says, look, I want to be there with you. But if you're going to go another direction, if you're going to be on the outside, I'm going to be with this group of people on the inside. He's saying the same thing. Parents, your kids are important, but they're not the most important thing. God has to be the most important thing. Don't listen to the people who will lie to you just like the enemy, the devil lies. There, you can find a million people right now to tell you, hey, just you really got to focus on your kids right now. You really got to focus on this and your family. And don't worry. God will be, he'll be there later. Stop. 
The best thing you can do for your kids is to serve God. Amen. Jesus, later on, if you read through the scriptures, the whole time Jesus is doing what he's supposed to be doing, you know what his brothers are doing? They don't believe in him. They say, listen, I, think, I thought you're God. I thought you had disciples. Why don't you go change the world? Why don't you go reveal to everybody who you are at the Passover? That's what his brothers are saying to him. They don't believe in him. But after he dies and he raises from the dead, they all believe and they become powerful men and preachers. If he would have chose to try to help them instead of doing what God wanted him to do, none of that would have happened. And the same thing will happen in our families. If we choose to try to fix everything for our families and for our kids instead of serving God, it will not turn out the way we want it to. But there's more. Watch this, young people. Jesus does not rebel like a normal Jung archetype. Jesus rebels in the perfect way. This is Luke 2, 49. He said to them, why did you seek me? Right, mom and dad. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand what the statement which he spoke to them meant. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. Jesus somehow was able to rebel and at the same time, respect his mother and his father. Amen. He patiently, over decades, became the man of God that he was supposed to be. Amen. What's so great about Jesus, even in this rebellion, he doesn't deny one commandment to keep another commandment. How many Christians do we know that will use something the scriptures say to not do something they don't want to do, right? And completely ignore the other scriptures that tell them to do that. You have to do it all. You can't pick and choose when you're going to be obedient. And Jesus is so good. He's so perfect. He says, listen, I can rebel against the lies of the enemy and serve my father. And I can also respect and honor my earthly mother and father. Amen. When you young people rebel, do it like that. When we as adults rebel against the lies to make our family become idols when God should be the only one that we worship, we don't completely deny our family or abandon them. That's what cults do. <laughs> I got an email yesterday about a cult that's going around in Orange County that are inviting people to Bible studies. And they won't tell you what their religion is or what it really is. And once they get into the Bible studies, they begin to um, tell you why you have to leave this particular church and why you have to leave your family, why you have to leave your kids. That's what cults do. And Jesus says, no, no, no. All the commandments that my father have given me are good and holy, and you can keep them all. That's right. Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. It's a commandment. We can rebel and still do that. The last area where Jesus has purpose for his rebellion and parameters that guide his rebellion is when it comes to what he's capable of doing and what he was called to do. Number three is Jesus came to seek and to save, not to chase and to rescue. Let me say it again. Jesus came to seek and to save, not to chase and to rescue. Those are different things. This is Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. 
The work of God and the plans of God are above and beyond our plans. Jesus understood that even though he was capable of doing many things, he was called to operate in submission to the Father's plans. Think about being Jesus. Last week we talked about um, what it meant to be a caregiver and what it meant to, have, to be meek, power under restraint. Jesus is in the garden. He's being betrayed, right? He has the power, he says, to call down 12 legions of angels, and he doesn't do it. Why? Because even though he's capable of doing that, that's not what he's called to do. He says, what is the will of the Father, not what am I capable of doing? How many of us are, are effective or good at submitting to the Father's plans for our life? Especially when we're capable of doing something different. You know how there's a lot of people who are just stuck in their life? Like, you don't have options, so you're just going to do what you have to do. But if you look at the people that have options, how many of us, how many of them do a good job of saying, I have these options of things I could do, but I'm going to submit to the will of the Father. It's very, very hard to do. Somebody say amen. I remember early on, I used to say, Lord, just keep me stuck, so I have to do what you want me to do. <laughs> if I don't have options, it's a whole lot better. This is John chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I've been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the father do, and whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. Jesus says, look, I only do what the Father does, and everything that I can do, I only get that ability from the Father. I don't do what I want to do. I do what he does or what he tells me to do. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save. I know what I'm capable of doing, but I know what I'm called to do. I know what I could do, but I also know what I'm supposed to do. He knew what he came to do and what he was capable of doing, but he believed that if he did what the Father told him to do, more people would be found and more people would be saved. Think about that for a second. He comes to earth and he's all powerful. He's God. And Instead of saying, I'm going to do what I know I'm capable of doing, he believed with all his heart. He says, I know I came to seek and to save. I can do that however I see fit, but I believe that if I do what God tells me to do, how God tells me to do it, at the end, more people will be found and more people will be saved. I just really want to, I'm hoping that you guys understand what that means. How many of us behave that way. Like, God, I want to serve you. I want to do all these things. And I can do it however I want. But I truly believe that if I do it your way, I'll actually have better results and more fruit. It'll actually turn out better in the end than if I just do what I think I should do. It'll be good if I do what I think I can do. But it won't be how it'll be if I do what you want me to do. Jesus had to rebel against his capability and choose to serve according to the will of God. 
This part of the message this morning is for the servant in the house of God. Yes. Do we serve in an attempt to fulfill our potential or do we serve to fulfill the will of God? I get the pleasure of leading this church, so I see potential all the time. You know, you know uh, RJ plays the drums over here? <coughs> Why don't we give RJ a hand? If I, if, I could, if I could play the drums, I'd give him a drum roll. <laughs> but if you guys haven't been to a Friday night praying in the spirit service here, you're missing out. But, but you know what? what RJ is like a savant, right? He plays the drums, no training. And then one day he just got up and came to the, to the keyboard and he was like Ray Charles. <laughs> I was in a prayer service and I thought that we started the music because he's playing. I'm like, who is that? And I turn around and he's, he's playing the piano or the, the keyboard over here. Then the next prayer service, he picks up this guitar and it's like, yes. how did you get like that? <laughs> but you know why a lot of you don't know that about RJ? because you don't come to prayer service. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, that's not why. <laughs> because RJ's not interested. RJ's not interested in fulfilling his potential and showing the world what he's capable of doing. He's interested in being a part of something where the will of God is being accomplished. That's how you serve. That's how you rebel. Because you know what the world would tell him? What are you doing? Why are you in that church? They don't see your gifts, bro. <laughs> they don't know what you're capable of. God made you this capable because he wants you to just show the world what you can... But how many of us serve like that? Pastor's holding me down. He's holding, he's holding me back. He knows if, if they see what I could do, whoo, they're gonna be like, can you preach? <laughs> Man, it's funny, but think about the world we live in church and then think about the archetype. Jesus could play all the instruments. Jesus could preach the best messages. Every altar call, like you know how sometimes we come to the altar and we're like, I'm coming for healing. I'm not sure if it's gonna happen. I'm not, like every altar call, like it happened. <laughs> but Jesus didn't say, let's just show the world what I'm capable of. He said, Father, let your will be done. I believe that God is asking us to do the same I'm going to close with this. <clears throat> These two stories, I'm not going to read them. If you, if you have your Bible, you're taking notes. It's Matthew 19, verse 16 through 26, and Luke 7, verse 18 through 23. These two stories. The first is about uh, a rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus, how do I get saved? What do I need to do? And, and Jesus goes through all this progression with him and tells him, you need to give everything, all of your resources. You need to give. And uh, he couldn't handle that. That was like where this young man drew the line. I've seen a lot of people in the church draw the line at tithe. I'll come, I'll serve, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll help, I'll read, I'll pray, but don't ask me for 10%. <laughs> 
And this, this man, he says, that's too hard, and he walks away. Jesus is capable of changing his heart. Jesus is capable of making him make the right decision and serve him. But Jesus came to seek and to save, not to chase and to rescue. He lets him walk away, and then Jesus says to his disciples, say disciples. disciples. The disciples are the ones who are still there. He says to his disciples, look how hard it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom. His disciples say, well, then who's going to be saved? Jesus says, with men it's impossible, with God it's possible. All things are possible. Jesus had to submit what he's capable of doing for the will of God. He could have went after him and did whatever he wanted to do and, you know, he could have done the whole Yoda, you will follow me. (laughs) You will give. But instead, he says, I'm not going to chase, I'm not going to rescue. I'm going to do what the Father told me to do. Flip side, Jesus has an awesome friend. It's his cousin. His name's John the Baptist. He dedicated his whole life to Jesus. He makes the way straight. He baptizes Jesus. Jesus gets filled with the Spirit in a special way. And then John ends up in prison. Jesus is capable of getting him out of prison. Jesus wants to get him out of prison because Jesus loves him. But Jesus rebels against what he's capable of doing in order for the will of God to be done. John says, hey, listen, you guys came to visit me. Go ask if he's really the one. Ask him why he's leaving me in this prison. If he's the one, he's capable. Tell him to come rescue me. Tell him to come save me. And Jesus begins to say to those those disciples that come from John, he says, go tell John what you're seeing. People are getting healed. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. Poor people are having the word of God spoken to them. Families are being restored. Go tell John that I'm not going to focus on what I'm capable of doing. I'm going to focus on what God wants me to do. I came to seek and to save that which is lost. I didn't come to chase and to rescue. John, you're saved. You're a little scared right now. You're a little worried right now, but you're saved. And there's a bunch of people out here who are not. I'm not going to focus on what I want to do because I love you. I'm going to focus on what God wants me to do because his plans are better than my plans. The last thing that uh, Jesus says to tell John, he says, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And this is how I'll close. Jesus goes through that whole progression and he says, man, tell John that blessed are those who are not offended because of me. You know why? When you rebel against what the world wants you to do, expects you to do, what you want to do, what you think you should do, when you rebel against that, you are going to offend people. People are going to tell you, don't you remember when I did this for you? Don't you remember when I did that for you? Don't you remember that I gave you that family and I gave you those kids? Jesus says, listen, don't be offended because I'm rebelling against what everybody wants me to do. I'm just going to do what the Father wants me to do. We're going to have to be like that, church. It's going to be hard when you break tradition. It's going to be hard when you tell people why you give. It's going to be hard when you tell people, yeah, I know I'm capable of more than this, but I believe that this is what God wants me to be doing right now. Blessed are those who are not offended. I want to be in rebellion, but I want to be in a holy rebellion. That's when our obedience and our faith is truly challenged and tested. 
when you are asked, like Jesus was asked, to be in holy rebellion against what feels right, against what you're told is right, but in line with what God has proclaimed. Why don't we stand so we can pray? Hallelujah, Lord. So when I started, I said there's something in us that uh, makes us rebellious. I said that we need to focus on rebelling in the right direction, not not being rebellious. I'll close by saying that I think we're rebellious because Jesus was rebellious. He's the archetype of humanity. That spirit of rebellion that we have, we get it from him. Earlier I said that that last week we thought that we might have discovered a reason for some of our lack of success. We want to serve God and serve Jesus without letting him serve us and empower us. This week I'll tell you the same thing. Many of us have been unsuccessful trying to kill the spirit of rebellion in our lives. But it's because we got that wrong too. We shouldn't kill the spirit of rebellion we should direct the spirit of rebellion in the right place. Amen? What if we made up our minds this morning to figure out what Jesus rebelled against and then commit to a holy rebellion in those same areas? You heard a few examples, but if you read through your scriptures, you'll see that he is rebellious. And you would just have to say to yourselves, Lord, I'm going to rebel the same way. In that area, what you did, I'm going to do. In that area, what you weren't willing to do, I'm no longer going to be willing to do those things. And we'll see what happens. Bow your heads. Close your eyes with me this morning. Just begin to pray. We know that he is alive. We know that he is well. We know that he is listening to your prayers right now. He's not interested in only hearing my voice. He knows your voice. He knows your heart this morning. He knows your thoughts. And he's always willing. He's always ready. He is a caregiver to touch you, to minister to you, to meet you where you are. On his behalf, I always ask this question about salvation as we close our services. But I want to ask it in a a unique way this morning. If you're here... And you know like nobody else knows whether or not you're saved, whether or not your soul belongs to Jesus, whether or not your allegiance is with Christ, whether or not you've been forgiven for your sins, you know in a way that nobody else knows here this morning. If that hasn't happened or you're uncertain about that, the question I have for you is, will you rebel this morning against the lies of the devil? The devil says you're okay. The devil says you're not that bad. The devil says there's worse people. The devil says that you're not really a sinner. You've just made some bad decisions over the course of your life. Those are lies. It's the same way he got Adam. It's the same way he got Eve. God is asking you to rebel against those lies this morning. You are a sinner. It is that bad. You're not going to go to heaven. You're going to spend eternity in hell. He says, but... I sent my son to die on a cross for you to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the truth. You have to rebel against the lie and you have to receive the truth. That's the only way. 
He says, I will forgive you. I will heal you. I'll restore your life. I'll give back everything that's been stolen from you. But you have to rebel. My son was rebellious. Death said, I've come for you. And my son rebelled against death. He rose from the grave and said, I am more powerful than death. And he'll be more powerful than death in your life if you let him. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're already saved, please be praying. If this ministers to you and you know that you need to rebel, you want to be saved, you want to receive Christ this morning, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. It's just between you and the Lord. If that's you, would you raise your hand just so that I can see you? I see you, sis. Anybody else? Just want to rebel this morning. Amen. I see you, sis. So good. So good. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Please continue to pray. Continue to pray if you're saved, that God open hearts, open minds. Anybody else that would join our two sisters this morning and say, amen, I see you. That's three. Anybody else? Hallelujah, Lord. Just rebel. Don't stay in sin. Be set free from it. Anybody else, before we move on, just raise your hand. The Lord knows your heart already. Let today be the day of your rebellion. Anybody else before we move on? Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord, I thank you for those three, Lord, that you've called. Earlier you said that you called those that you wanted and they came. This morning, Lord, I believe with all my heart that you called those that you wanted and they came. Heal them, Lord. Save them. Prepare them for what's ahead. The enemy is going to lie to them again and say they've made the wrong decision. It's going to get hard and he's going to tell them that they can't make it, Lord. But we know the truth. We will rebel against that spirit from the enemy and we will receive the spirit that says, with you all things are possible, Lord. For the rest of us this morning, I'm going to open the altars for communion. And I'm going to open the altars for our prayer team to pray with you and pray for you if you'd like. And here's the area. It can be anything for you. Feel free to come forward. But here's the area God put on my heart. For those that want prayer for holy rebellion. That you see or you're beginning to see our archetype Jesus. How he rebelled. And you want that in your life. You want to be in line with what God wants. You want to live the way that God wants you to live. You want to be empowered by God. You don't want to try to force God's hand. You want to ask him to be merciful and graceful in your life. You want the strength and the power to do that. You no longer want to try to suppress the spirit of rebellion in your life. You just want to aim it in the right direction. I want to pray this morning with you. Our prayer team wants to pray with you this morning. So the altars are open. Lord, have your way over your sons. Have your way over your daughters, Lord God. Bless them, Lord. We pray that you would continue to move this year the way that you've started this year for us in our young people and in our youth, Lord God, in our adults and in our services, Lord, the salvations that are coming in this place, Lord God, the baptisms that are on their way, and those that you see at the altar this morning, Lord, would you meet them here? Would you meet them here? And help them with holy rebellion. We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 (laughs) Altars are open. You can come for prayer. Communion is open. You can have communion. If you gave your life to the Lord this morning, somebody. I was nowhere. You came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. Oh, no.